All right, my friends. Today on the podcast, we have Stefanos Sifandos, and we go deep. And by deep, I mean we cover ground from the wounded feminine, the wounded masculine, how we can find liberation in sharing and exposing our, our deepest shame. We go into shadow work, trauma work, and we go all the places. We go into the mother wound, um, and it was such an inspiring conversation that I actually, although I've been committed to deep work for a long time, I upped that ante and uh, just signed on with a new practitioner. And to say that I was deep in my sadness earlier today would be an understatement. And so if you're going through hard things, if you're looking to, as I am, break through to call in new levels of partnership, of possibility in your life, I think you could find a lot of value in this episode. So check it out. Uh, Peak Mind with Stefanos Sifandos. This episode is brought to you by Simply03. Simply03 is my go-to source for all things ozone. Ozone has radically changed my life. I had exposure to both Lyme disease as well as chronic mold in my home and did a deep dive into potential solutions and found ozone to be uh, miraculous. Uh, It has been a game changer in my life. I use the Simply O3 oils on my skin. I have a couple scars that I've been putting the oils on where I'm seeing the scars mitigated and it's amazing for healing. I also use their oxygen assisted ozone device for both ear insufflation. So basically using kind of a stethoscope device that goes into my ears, which has helped heal uh, an ear challenge that I've had for over a year, as well as their oil bubbler, which enables you, you cannot breathe ozone, um, into your lungs by itself. However, you can use olive oil as a medium uh, to enable the the safe ingestion. And ozone is incredible for a variety of factors. It helps to strengthen your respiratory system. It helps to inactivate bacteria and viruses and fungi, parasites and yeast. It stimulates your immune system and basically hyper-oxygenates your system which improves your circulatory system. There are reports that it can help improve brain function and memory, uh, that it can reduce abnormal heart rhythms. Obviously, one has to be careful with claims, but do your research. Google ozone therapy, and it has been one of the biggest game changers in my life. So if you want to get started, I did an episode with the founder, Michael Lowe. You can check that out. I'll link it below. And if you want a discount, you can use simplyo3.com and code PEAKMIND, and it'll give you a nice fat discount at checkout. Again, that's simply o3 peak mind. This episode is also brought to you by one of my other new favorite companies, which is Leela Quantum, leelaq.com. Leela is incredible. I got introduced to them by looking at some of their dark field microscopy and the effects of EMF on our blood. We are now obviously all kind of in a mass experiment, which is 5G EMF is being unleashed on all of us, uh, whether we like it or not. And I have used Leela Q's incredible EMF protecting clothing 
as one of my great tools, especially uh, when flying. I, I put on the underwear. I wear the, the shirt. All of them are silver lined, the hat as well. Um, obviously, when we fly, we're 30,000 feet closer to a massive radiation source. But in addition, I've found um, that my sleep is disrupted uh, when I'm traveling and, you know, like I was just in New York City and I had no idea, but I wasn't sleeping well. And then I realized there was a massive 5G tower right next to me. Um, so the, the Lila Q is my go-to source for blocking EMFs. I have their clothing, and I also have what is incredible, their quantum block. I have both the travel size quantum block as well as the larger quantum block. I did a an episode with Philip that goes deep into the science. They've done double-blind uh, controlled studies, um, but... It's been incredible, principally for mitigating against the risks of EMF radiation in my home. He also goes deep into quantum energy and the quantum field, which I'm fascinated by. I think most most notably by the research of quantum energy as it relates to water and some of the microscope testing that has been shown as it relates to the energetics of water. And we are obviously composed mostly of water. Uh, but quantum energy is something incredible to look into. And I highly recommend you listen to the episode below. Uh, in the interest of time, what I'll say is do a deep dive into Leela Q's website, leelaq.com. And if you're interested, you can use the code PEAKMIND for 10% off your order. Again, that's leelaq.com, code PEAKMIND. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer. And I'm here with my friend, Stefanos Sifando. Stefanos, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Uh, so I've been looking forward to this one, man. Yeah, we, uh, for, for those listening, we, uh, we had to go at this a little earlier. And for a variety of reasons, uh, actually one abusing is an opportunity to get to know each other a bit more deeply. And so uh, I was actually grateful for that, uh, for that opportunity. And what, I, what I've learned is... In, in delving deeply into sort of some of your content and some of your your messages is how much I resonate with a lot of your teachings around relationship, around masculinity. And uh, and the one that I keep coming back to is around the mother wound. And, uh, and so in the interest of jumping kind of right into the deep end, I'd love to ask you first kind of how you orient around this notion of, of, for lack of a better term, right relationship. Um, I feel like uh, in the Buddhist context, there's there's an orientation around right relationship. I, as a, I'll just speak for myself, because I often find that leading from a place of vulnerability uh, is, is, is best. But I, I found in my own life that I've had a very hard time calling in the right relationship. And I, I recognize that that starts with me. But I also know that that I'm not alone in that in that quest for for partnership. And I know, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received is is take the list of all the things you're looking for in a partner and 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 then go be those things. And so mm. I've been attempting to do that myself. But I'd love to hear your orientation because I know you've called in a, an extraordinarily beautiful partnership, uh, a family. And, and I know there's no sort of quick answer to this, but, I, but I'd love to just jump in by, by sort of starting with your orientation around how one thinks about 
entering into and calling forward a, a divine partnership? Hmm. Well, the, the notion of right relationship is an interesting one. And ultimately, unless we're in right relationship with ourselves, we won't find or create right relationship outside of ourselves. And all things being equal, right relationships simply meaning a relationship that's of deeper alignment that isn't vested and born from uh, unhealthy trauma bonding behavior. That right relationship with self really means and is defined by can we love all the parts of ourselves that we've neglected and abandoned, that we've let go of, that we've forgotten about? Can we love our shadow? Can we heal our own past so that we can deeply attract relationships that really, really matter to us? And that means something to us of substance that we're willing to grow with and grow from and that we're willing to place effort into. And it's not a relationship that is too much, too soon, too fast, that gives us a very quick high because that's, that's trauma essentially. But it's a relationship that grows at its own pace. And really it's a relationship where both individuals are deeply committed not only to themselves, not only to the other, but to the vehicle of relationship itself. And that requires a tremendous mindset and heart set shift that can only come from exploring our own pain, our own trauma, learning to celebrate our own joys, aka receiving, aka heightening our self-worth. When we start to really walk that path, that's when we begin to move in deeper right relationship with others. Mm. And for those listening, if I if I were to say, okay, I, I've done it, I've done work on myself, I've done, I've explored various modalities to sort of come to know my, for lack of a better term, my self-limiting beliefs, my limitations, and and I've 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 entered into the work, I'm doing the work, so to speak, uh, and yet I keep replicating these patterns that that are holding me back from that 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 truly. Um, that truly aligned sense of, of living in possibility that I know exists, that I know is out there, and and that that perhaps included in which is the embodiment uh, of that of that partnership. When we when we're doing that work, what are the what are the sort of modalities or orientations or ways of thinking that you think can be most helpful for one to consider in that process? Right, like so for me. I, I can say, you know, I've done a variety of different modalities of work. And I would say, I know, I know one of the things that you focus on uh, is, is men's work. I will say my, my, the men's work that I did was an absolute sea change in my life um, in terms of where I was uh, in a, in a deep dark night of the soul and then doing four years of continuous like integration group. I did something called the mankind project. You're probably familiar with. I've done that as well. Yeah. Yeah, my father actually flew out and uh, and staffed my weekend. So I was in a very, very wow. dark place. And of the 115 men that staffed, my my father was the only father that showed up. Uh, and and as you may know, or but for those listening, it's not just volunteering, actually, men who staff actually pay for the honor of service. Mm -hmm. And that actually was one of the core moments, I think for me, it was a, a real ritual rebirth, but it was also the solidification of a deep allied relationship that I had with my father, which I, which I recognize as, as profoundly as I don't want to say unique, but, but perhaps more on the rare spectrum of things as it relates to men and their fathers. Um, 
but it's been one of the greatest tools that I've utilized in my life to date is having that, that group of men that I could, that I could do deep integration work, you know, do deep exploration of a lot of my, uh, my traumatic experiences and, and move through those experiences again and sort of repattern. Um, I know that there are a variety of different tools that people can use. What in your experience are some of the most, are, are some of the more powerful tools that people can, can, can utilize to sort of help get out of their own way? Yeah, inner child work and somatic work, such as breath work, is a very powerful tools to really help people get out of their own way, not at a superficial or even surface level, but at a very deep level, at an unconscious level that drives so much of our behaviours, our ideologies, our mindset, our beliefs, our perceptions of the world, the way that we love ourselves, the way that we love others, the, way that, the ways in which we let and allow others to love us. That's a big one. That's a big block for so many people. Being loved and being cared for and being nurtured is too much for so many people. They push it away and as a result of that, cause massive distance in relationship and really create the quote-unquote wrong relationship over and over again and, and really feel like they're in deficit. They walk and move through the world like they just, they're, they're losing. And it's because, largely because we can't relate to ourselves and we can't relate to ourselves because we have blocked off so much of who we were because it wasn't safe to be ourselves whether it was because we grew up in a violent or volatile home whether it was because we were shamed as a child or whether it was because we were bullied or told we weren't enough or we weren't paid attention to we weren't acknowledged for our accolades and over time we made that mean that we're unworthy or we're not enough or whatever it may be and so going back to those places, not to relive those experiences, it's not about that. It's to release what wasn't released in that time. If you grew up like me, I grew up in a very violent household. I didn't have the opportunity to be in my voice. So what I really needed as a child was to say stop or to say no, to say please don't do that anymore. I never had that opportunity. That, that, the essence of that remained stuck in my body. I need to release that. I need to animate that physically. I need to verbalize that. Even as an adult, move that through my nervous system. So we make the psychological connection to that, that space that we once occupied. We give it the release that it needs to. And more often than not, the trauma loop is actually closed. Then the integration work begins, but the trauma loop is closed. That deeper work is actually done. It's not, it's not years and years of talk therapy. Nothing against talk therapy actually plays a role. However, it's, um, I don't want to say it's broken, but it is incomplete. Mm. That's all we're doing because we're just cycling and recycling stories. And we're not actually, we may be reframing the story, but our physiological response to that experience still exists in density, in sympathetic nervous system response, in a fear-based response. So we need to shift that and change that. Again, some of the ways that we do that is moving by being in the body and learning to be safe in the body. So when I'm working with people directly, I'm supporting them in learning to be safe in their bodies again so they can explore the unknown within their bodies so that they can release what needs to be released, move what needs to be moved, express what needs to be expressed so that they're not alone in their journey and they feel safe again, once again in their bodies. Mm. Beautifully said. I feel like just to, to sort of ground that into a personal experience, I, I can relate to for me as a child, I, I didn't feel fully safe. I, um, my mother, whom I love, was very all over the spectrum and and the weather sort of of her emotion could change on a dime. 
And so I never knew which way the weather was going to come and when it was going to come. And so I felt very much um, like I, I had to, I would leave my body. I would disassociate as my sort of protection mechanism. And my father never modeled anger. I never, I actually only think I saw him angry, anger, express anger maybe twice in his entire life. Um, and so I never felt anger was natural. And I remember doing my first somatic work in my twenties and, and actually thinking that I just didn't have anger in me, like just didn't think it existed. And then of course, through the work realized actually I had a lot, a deep well of anger that had been repressed for a very, very long period of time. Um, and that's something I'm still coming into sort of right relationship with. I think men, like many people, especially men in today's day and age, um, you know, this good guy syndrome, if you will, is is unfortunately prolific and is uh, and, 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 and in some ways is, is highly problematic. But 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 for me, I would say I, I deeply relate to this notion of still finding the way in which, for lack of a term, whether it's called reparenting or finding a way in which that inner child can express itself, can express its voice. I feel like even with all the work I've done, that's still something that is working to feel safe to be expressed. And I know with many folks who I've spoken with, there is still this, this patterning, which we see in our lives, which is a reflection of that individuated aspect of ourself that will continue to, that will continue to arise in different relationships until we actually, you know, do the requisite work to, to sort of complete that cycle. Um, but, but I bring that up in, in part because I think one of the things, there's so many different topics that I think you and I could discuss, but I, I think one of the things I really love to talk about, probably because it scares me the most, is this notion of the mother wound. And I haven't heard that many people speak about it uh, with, I think, the eloquence and and um, and the way and the perspective that you that you brought to bear in in my research of of, of your work. And, you know, I know a great number of men that are enmeshed with their mothers that have been emasculated by their mothers. And I'd love for you to talk about really what is the mother wound? And I know there's no easy solution, but how does one move past that wound such that they can create a more effective and healthy relationship with, with the mm -hmm. feminine? Yeah. Firstly, you know, we, we often think, and, and thanks for sharing that, man, and thanks for your vulnerability as well. I think it's very helpful for so many too. I think firstly, we try, we, you know, we think, oh, I, I have this unhealthy or kind of relationship with my mother that doesn't really serve me and I want to make it better. Let me go straight to her and try and make this better, right? Let me try and fix it. Let me try and fix this relationship with her. And the reality is, you know, you may be in a position where your mother's physically passed on and she's dead and you can't you don't have the capacity to do that. so how do you work with the mother wound right how do you work with that emptiness that you feel we'll get to that in a moment because it actually doesn't involve your mother at least not to begin with and so the mother the mother wound represents a number of things you know the two things that you just mentioned there right like you mentioned um enmeshment was one of them and what was the other one you mentioned sorry the, the words eluding me well, I think people, enmeshment, for me, enmeshment, I think there's also at least disassociation. For me, I would leave my, I would leave my body in the, in the, in the sort of the rage or the anger of, of the feminine. And I'll, I'll just give it a bit more flavor because some men may or may not relate to this or women even, but 
But like I just had an example two days, two nights ago where a, a, a woman whom I know and, and I, I like to have there is still a people pleaser side of myself where I want everyone to like me. And she, and a friend of mine was leaving and gave me a hug. And I said to this other woman, hey, are you leaving? And I don't know why I just get the energetic feeling that somehow she doesn't like me. I, and, and, and by the way, I've never done anything wrong with her or nothing. There's no reason for her not to like me. But it, what I realized was like, I obsessed about it for like 24 hours. Like, should I call her and clear? Like, she didn't say goodbye. Like, what? And what I realized was it, it went back to that mother aspect of like my mother, the weather shifting and my mother being angry and me feeling like it was my fault. And like all of these different things in which I felt like I needed to regulate my mother's nervous system and yeah. the way in which that's led to dysregulation in my own nervous system. And the nature of my uh, partnerships and relationships being affected by that. By, in other words, the, the myriad of relationships that I see around myself and how, as I've done the work, I recognize there's been deep patterning that, that, that originates in that relationship, which was never secure, if you will, uh, with my own mother, uh, because of the fact that she was also a survivor of abuse and, and probably had her own challenges going on. But basically, she I never knew which direction she would go. And her rage when it was expressed was significant. And and I think right now, not to get too meta, and I'll pause after this, but I think there's a rebalancing of the masculine and the feminine. Obviously, there has been a, a sort of, uh, a, you know, which a deep patriarchal, you know, oppression for 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 historically a long period of time. But what I'm also noticing is some of the aspect of which the feminine is sort of asserting their power is actually just a, a replication of that same misogynistic sort of paradigm of like anger and subordination rather than it feels like to me true feminine power in essence and so as a quote-unquote conscious man trying to be there for a lot of the wounded feminine that i'm feeling around me and seeing in my life and at the same time also being in my own power holding my own power is a very interesting and imperfect dynamic that I'm that I that I know others I've spoken with are having a struggle in in dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. So great, great sharing there, man. It's no surprise that you, you know, you never really experienced your father expressing any anger because clearly there was no space for him to do so. Yes. Right. And um, based on what you've shared about your mother's overbearing nature of overbearing anger, and that's part of the mother wound is that enmeshment, which is that unconscious emotional projection of of, of needs onto a child because they're not being met by a far, uh, not being met by their partner by their husband you know? um and that can be very evident especially in in eldest children you know, in, in an older child um and you know it's again it's there's so much compensation that takes place and so often we will sometimes see anger or any emotion as that person caring and if they're not angry that means they don't care enough Enough, or they're not passionate enough about me or about the situation to get angry, to get upset, and therefore they don't care about me. So I'll get angry. I'll I'll, I'll show them how much I care, and that could be part of the pattern of, of you and your and your parents growing up, right? The other part is that overbearing mother as well, that mother that is just so overbearing and hyper protective, and and deeply uh, deeply emotional as well. And then there's the other aspect of the mother wound, which is where there's a, a very, very profound and clear lack of connection, affection, nurturing, care, 
like they, they, they just don't care. She just does not care. And she's so caught up in her own pain and in her own wounds and in her own fears and her own life that there is no deep nurturing and softness and compassion and non-judgment. And you ask, like, how do we begin to rectify and heal these big pains? How do we have them not show up in adult intimate relationship? How do we not emulate what we experience or do the exact opposite in an extreme way, which is just as not useful? And one of the ways that we do that is that we begin to shift judgment within ourselves because judgment is very rigid and judgment judgment contains disconnection and it contains distance it keeps people at a distance it makes us not trust others we don't allow them in to care for us and nurture us and actually receive love because part of the interpretation of that mother wound for most of us is oh she didn't care for me or oh she did this to me or oh she wasn't affectionate that must mean that i'm not worthy of love therefore i can't receive so i don't know how to receive that's another big affect of the mother wound is we don't know how to receive love because we weren't ever shown in healthy ways. And so changing that dynamic is it begins with judgment. It begins with grief, allowing ourselves to grieve the mother we didn't have, really allowing ourselves to grieve the childhood we never had, giving ourselves permission to do that. You know, being in men's work or being in co-ed work or being in sister circles, whatever it may be, being in spaces where you can be seen and understood and acknowledged and met with non-judgment and compassion is deeply healing and they're the beginning stages of healing that wound within so it's reflected outside of us so that we can learn how to be that and do that for ourselves and then of course we begin to learn and notice the patterns of what we're attracting and what we're creating in our world and from that place we can set healthy boundaries and say no no to this type of relationship because it reminds me of what I once had with my mother and that's not what I want in my adult intimate romantic partnerships so it's a process man there's no you know one quick fix it's definitely a process and somatic work helps with that because not only do we experience things cognitively intellectually psychologically we lodge them in our physiology and so somatic work breath work can really support in moving that energy that's stuck in us at a molecular cellular level and that's connected very intricately to our psychology, helps us recalibrate and re-regulate our nervous system so that we're not choosing from a wounded past and a wounded self, but we're actually choosing from a more empowered, healthy place. Mm. Can you talk actually specifically about that somatic work and breath work and perhaps how that helps to repattern or 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 even specifically like what that looks like, like, and and I mean, very basically, like, you know, I meet with a somatic therapist on a, a once weekly basis, I do breath work 10 minutes a day, I do this, you know, what what is the, I don't know if there's a hard protocol, but like, or if there's resources, I know you do this work, but like, um, I, I would love to go deeper again, I've done some deep somatic work, I've done some breath work. That said, uh, I definitely don't think, uh, I, you know, I've I'm probably covered the tip of the iceberg. Um, can you talk about how that modality, I mean, I know, for example, this is a little bit anecdotal, but I know, for example, part of the reason why animals in the wild are able not to be living in trauma is because, you know, a gazelle that's attacked by a lion immediately shakes right. out of their system that attack and then can kind of move on, which we have aggressions and microaggressions and macroaggressions that we just kind of hold in and never release. Um, yeah. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, in terms of some resources, you know, Oxygen Advantage, um, 
conscious breathing and as Olsen, um, Wim Hof, um, uh, breathing, breathing for warriors is another book as well. Um, there are so many, you know, any, any ancient yogic techniques as well. Um, there are many trauma release exercises, like somatic experiencing is a school of, of thought and a, um, philosophy and a curriculum that, um, includes somatic work. Um, the Hakomi Institute is another place. Like there's so many resources out there on breathing. I mean, breathing is something that we've been doing for so many years, right? Um, since we've been created, I mean, it's just so, so, it's so natural to us. I particularly lean into old ancient Eastern breathing techniques. Um, but you know, it depends. Are we trying to upregulate or are we trying to downregulate? Most people are trying to downregulate. In other words, they're trying to regulate their nervous system and breath is an access point to doing so. Can you breathe deliberately, um, uh, on a daily basis? Absolutely. You can engage in Wim Hof protocols that help you with, um, you know, greater physiological health. Um, you know, combine that with cold exposure as well. Um, you can breathe in more specific ways that activate areas of your brain or that stimulate certain organs. Um, you can breathe for the purpose of expanding consciousness. Can you do that on a daily basis? You can, but it's a lot. Maybe I'd, I'd say, you know, depending on where you are in your journey, start with a practitioner, learn with someone that's skilled so you can have reflection and feedback and then you can go into yourself. You know, when it comes to breathing, man, I treat it as if I'm moving into a, a sacred sacramental plant medicine journey. It's, very, it's especially the type of breathing that I engage in, um, not on a daily basis, but when I'm actually doing it in deeper dive session, which is really expanding consciousness. I am often, you know, um, breaking down my whole identity of reality and so through through breath practice and so that's a lot and you want to make sure that your your environment is conducive to that you don't have interruptions you've got space to move to to vocalize to to breathe breath sound and movement are the foundations or the the triangle of self-exploration the somatic world right and so you know giving yourself permission to be able to go into those places um, is really good. I think James Nestor is another one as well, another, another good resource. And he's got his book is Breath or Breathe. I can't remember, but yeah, one of those, one of those. So, you know, lots of resources out there. They're more modern resources. But again, I was, I go back to, um, ancient Vedic practices and, and, and yogic techniques as well for breathing. And, and again, they're, they're, they're multi purpose. Mm. I, I love that. Uh, I, I also, one of the things you mentioned you know, when you're talking about somatic practices was, uh, was movement, but also sound voice. I, at least that's how I heard it. Yes. And I, you know, I, one of the things that I deeply repressed as a message when I was a young man, a young kid actually was Michael, you know, for my mom, you're great at many things, but singing is not one of them. And I remember mm -hmm. that like I had traveled throughout my life, but I never sang. I had never sang karaoke. And I actually did a leadership training. I think it was landmark forum back in New York mm -hmm. city, probably a decade ago. And mm -hmm. uh, I'll save the story for another day, but I actually wound up declaring this song and, and lo and behold, I wound up in Chilean Patagonia and the song that I had declared to sing on stage at Landmark within the next month, two weeks later, I'm in, in, in Torres del Pine in Chile and these alpaca block the road in front of me. And I kid you not, this song comes on the radio in Chile and Patagonia and I get out and I belt it out to these, uh, these alpaca. And it was such a liberating feeling to sing. 
Um, and especially in that cathedral of the wild, you know, that church mm -hmm. of nature that I find so sacred and I find helps me regulate my nervous system. Um, but I share that to say that for those listening, I don't know what your blockages are, but for me, I just did, and I had a lot of resistance to it in part, probably because I had so deeply embedded this notion of, of repressing my voice, but I just did a Kirtan practice. And you talked about your breath work and how for you, it's almost use the analogy of a plant medicine experience. But for me, I'm, and I'm not a deep Kirtan practitioner. I, I had some, I had some judgments around it, but I, I, I let myself get into the prayer of it and, and just to express myself through, through voice and these repetition of these, you know, these, this sort of these mantric songs and the amount of insights and and downloads that i was getting as i was singing was mm. was profound like it was kind of what you were describing with the breath it was and it's led me to actually now i want to do like deep vocal toning and vocal training and sing yes. because i feel like it's the thing that scares me it's the thing i have this deep messaging around and i'm guessing for those listening people have whether that whether that's you know using their voice and singing whether that's breath i think people have their own blockages. And I feel like when I thought, when I think of somatic work on, to be honest, I, I think about it, like, at least when I, when I did my somatic therapy was like literally getting in my body and like, you know, hitting a pillow and actually starting to try to express that anger that I had repressed, but I had, I hadn't put the two in, I hadn't put, I hadn't put singing in there. I hadn't put breath in there. And it makes a lot of sense that actually it's, it's a much more holistic and 360 approach. Um, are there any somatic therapists or practitioners or resources as it relates to going into perhaps the the, the psychotherapy aspect that that you would recommend? And if not, I can link to it later. If if you, if any come to mind, I mean specifically that a psychotherapist as well. I'm not sure. I mean, me personally, myself in my practice, my personal practice, in my practice with my clients, I'm somatically trained. I'm trauma informed. Um, I'm qualified in, in, in breath work as well in, in various modalities. And so there's, there's, I incorporate all of that in everything that I do because it's so valuable. It really contributes to the whole nature of the human being. It's not just a talk therapy thing or a mind thing. It's really the integration of the whole of self. To answer your question directly, like, is there a psychotherapist that I know that incorporates deeper somatic work i'm not sure i'd have to give that some thought the the, re the reason i ask and and, and perhaps that was a, a leading question and i this is I, I only say this because he spoke about a public on his platform this is not outing anyone but our, our mutual friend aaron alexander has been sharing a bit about which is actually what led me to you i don't know if you knew this but aaron no. was posting about and i i've known him for years but he was posting the gentleman, he's, work, the gentleman he's working with is who i recommended he work with he's a dear uh, friend of mine Okay. Yeah, he's not a psychotherapist per se. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, so he just talked, I mean, publicly on his platform about how meaningful that work has been for him. And so that was actually the inception point. I had heard of you before, but I, but that led me deep down the rabbit hole into your work. So, um, so that's okay. Beautiful. Well, talk to me a little bit more about your process, because I know you have a, a myriad of, of aspects that you, that you focus on. 
I, I've delved mostly into your work as it relates to working with men, uh, as I mentioned, the sort of the mother wound, et cetera. But, but talk to me a bit more about your process. Like if, if someone is encountering uh, whatever blockage it may be, and to keep it grounded, you're, you, you know, I'm, I'm happy to continue to talk about, you know, some of the work that I've mentioned uh, that, that, that I'm doing in my own practice. But, but what are the ways in which you sort of support people in, in breaking through their, their self-limiting beliefs and patterns? Yeah, the first thing is really creating an environment of safety. Nothing, nothing is, nothing changes and shifts without safety. And so we can do all the trauma work we want, but trauma work begins with a regulated nervous system. And so how I show up to them, I'm, I'm slow in my speech. I'm obviously not ridiculously slow, but I'm, I'm not abrasive. I'm not volatile. I'm not erratic. I'm slow in my breath. I've done my own inner work. So whatever they, and I continue to do my inner work is more, is a more accurate statement. It's not like I'm done and done, but I can hold what they may bring because I've traversed my own darkness and my own depth. And I'm very confident in that. And, and I would never push anyone beyond their limits or would never ask them to go beyond their limits, only as comfortable as they can be. Right. And there needs to be a permission that takes place. You know, when we're talk, working with trauma, we're talking about expanding our window of tolerance, coming to the edge. We call it an edging process, similar to when a man is practicing ejaculatory edging, where he brings himself to near ejaculation and pulls himself back, right? So it's just pulling that seed back in. It's the same when we're taking ourselves to the edge of our pain. We don't want to go jump over take ourselves to the edge, come back into regulation, touch dysregulation, come back into regulation. Mm. That's super important. So I really create a, a, an environment of safety and then we'll explore the source of their patterns, help them understand where they are in a, in a, in a non-shaming, non-judgmental way so that they can actually explore these things that they haven't for ever or a very long time in more confident ways and it is a process man and then you know i'll, I'll use all different tools and modalities and techniques to, to get there and, and weave their weave through their journey and through their, their mindscape but it all begins with safety and, and and it continues with safety yeah yeah i feel like creating safe safe space is 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 so essential and i think one of the great um misfortunes is, is right now so many people are doing work whether that be plant medicine work or sort of therapeutic work with with practitioners honestly that don't have the training or ethic to hold a truly uh sacred space in my opinion uh which we don't have to go deep i've done whole podcasts on on fake shamans and and, and the like but i think there's there, there's a lot of there's a lot for those listening, make sure you're working with someone who's highly referred and uh you know the way i describe it is at least in the context of plant medicine is if, you know, if I'm going to get surgery, I'm going to the Harvard MD who's been practicing for 30 years. I'm not going to the guy who read about it in the library book. And I think oh. in the, at least in the plant medicine space, there's a lot of people who read about it in the library book, people who went to Peru for a week and now feel they're qualified <laughs> to, uh, to perform psychic surgery. So, um, so yeah, I think what you, what you mentioned as it relates to being deep in your own work and and being able to embody and that you can't lead someone someplace you haven't been yourself. So I feel yeah. like I feel like that that is 
absolutely essential. As you think about the landscape right now, to bring it a little bit more macro, and some of what you're seeing, you know, we are amidst this 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 crazy point, crazy beautiful in many ways, but crazy point in human history where we have more inputs on our on our on our biology than probably ever before. You know, in terms of information, stressors. Um, you know, on a macro level, we're amidst a mass extinction. And I don't say that from a doomsday point of view, just to say like, we have so many inputs on our systems to reg to, to maintain a reg a well-regulated uh, nervous system is, 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 is almost a miracle. Um, but, but definitely not impossible. Um, as you, as you kind of survey the landscape of the world that we're all kind of moving through, what are some of the the tools or orientations that you find most helpful in, in holding center, if you will, right. And in, in, in coming back to that place, I love how you talk about this notion of being from a, from a safe place, touching the void, if you will, touching those places of dysregulation or, or trauma or unsafety, but also being able to come back home. What are the ways in which you help people come back home or, or you think are, are potent tools to, to be able to, to find that sense of safety within? Grieving in safe spaces, being witnessed in grief, mm. whether it's a loss of a loved one, a loss of one's childhood, the perception of a loss of the mother or father they never had, a loss of themselves or parts of their identity. We repress grief. And grief is interlocked often with shame that keeps away from grieving because grieving is so heavy and shame comes into place and tells us we're not enough. And what we need to do to avoid the shame and the grief is to insert and inject massive amounts of pleasure and or distraction in our lives. And so they're just in this constant feedback loop, right? And we're deeply unsatisfied or dissatisfied with ourselves and with our lives. We feel empty. And all we need to do is just release. Mm. Grief is a really powerful, the practice of actively, proactively grieving is a really powerful tool. Again, breath, sound, movement, animating the body, not just talking about it or verbally speaking to it, but really opening up our hearts and our bodies to feeling the depth of grief as, as comfortably uncomfortable as we can or as uncomfortably comfortable as we can, right? And just live to fight another day, but let the grief go. Right? Let the grief go. There's so much wholeness that's created in the expression and the release of grief. Mm. I resonate with that a lot. In, in terms of containers, I mean, I know you've created, for example, uh, a men's group. I'm imagining that that holding space for that in that container is is part is part of it. Um, mm. What, what are the ways in which you feel like for those who are listening that may not be part of a container, they can find their way to that kind of a, a, a that safe space, either within or within a collective wherein they can effectively express that grief. I know for me, I, I would say what, which I mentioned earlier, um, and this is not, you know, this is not necessarily, although I, I had a great experience, an endorsement of Mankind Project, but for me, I, I felt like that was that was one of the first places where I was able to deeply grieve to, to actually like cry and be witnessed and, and, and born witnessed by a group of men who didn't know me. 
um, in, in a way that was that was radically vulnerable. Um, and, and that's a very accessible platform. Uh, I feel like for most people, it's not it's not crazy expensive or anything like that. Um, but are there any other containers or, or modalities or ways of going about uh, finding a way into a place where people can be held in their grief? Yeah, I think you really nailed it, man. Like we need to be, you know, so presence in the safety or safety in the presence of others goes a very long way for our healing. And so when you're able to be witnessed in your quote unquote ugly, when you're extremes without judgment and met with compassion, there's a lot of power that comes from that. There's a lot of allowance that, it come, that comes around spaciousness that's created in our psychological, emotional, and physical bodies. And from that place, we can bring in patterns and ways of being and thoughts about ourselves and, and newly found and discovered emotions such as contentment and joy and happiness that we couldn't access before. And so joining a men's group or a sister circle or, or someone, or not just someone, but yeah, working with a coach and therapist, et cetera, but being in a group of people that carry an intention to witness each other without judgment and with compassion and empathy and understanding goes a very long way for our healing. And joining those groups, as uncomfortable as it can be, knowing that you're going to be held and met and knowing that you're also going to be healthily challenged. That's very powerful. Mm. Beautifully said. L let me ask you a question that's kind of, at least for me, on the other side of doing some of this deep work. Uh, well, maybe not on the other side. It's actually probably more of a crucible for deep work than anything else. But um, I know that that you are now in, in a partnership uh, you also have a a, a beautiful uh, newborn child. As someone who deeply yearns to find my way into that type of a partnership and, and a fam familial context and relationship to have children one day, what what was if you go back and reflect on the on the times in which you were you were you were single? Um, what was it in you, or what what were what were what enabled you to find your way into the place you are now? And, and not to say, by the way, you've arrived and everything is gold and, and, and easy, just to say, I do know that, that calling in, you know, they say the biggest choice you can make is choosing, uh, you know, choosing a partner uh, because either they'll be the greatest catalyst to your growth and evolution or, or it can go the other way. Um, and, and so if you find a great partner, which I know you have, and, and you can start to create, you know, new life from that place, uh, it's something I deeply aspire to. I know many people who listen aspire to. What, what for you as someone who's deeply sensitive to the work was, was critical to your own deep work and evolution such that you were able to hold space for that evolution? Yeah, for me, it was really delving into the places that I hadn't before and really dealing with my unresolved trauma and doing my shadow work. And that required me being single and really wanting to be single, desiring to not be pulled by the sometimes complexity and um, extreme pleasure and distraction and challenge and difficulty and growth of a relationship. I needed to grow inwards first. I needed to set some solid foundations in the way I had to do that for myself was to do deeper explorative work was to deal with my unhealed stuff was to learn to feel again and and to work through my trauma and to learn how to forgive and and make that relationship that was very wrong with my parents my primary caregivers my first love make that right again in a more meaningful um <laughs> important way and that was really the the work for me 
And then from that place, learning that I don't need relationship, I don't need to be in intimate relationship, I'm not necessarily looking for it, but I became open to it in a genuine way because I became open to myself. I learned to love the parts of me that I'd negated, neglected, rejected, abandoned, humiliated, and in turn allowed others to do the same to me. So I had to really come face to face with many of my demons. And that's really what got me open for quote unquote right relationship. Mm. You mentioned in that process, uh, coming into coming to terms with your caregivers and you had mentioned earlier, you know, that, that you'd grown up in a violent context. Was mm. that actually um, confronting them or, or making amends with them in some way in physical form, or was that more an internal process, you know, writing letters that you burn? I mean, what, what, to the degree that you're, you're comfortable sharing when you Very did that hard work, what did that look like? Yeah. Well, all of the, um, all of the above with what you just shared, but really approaching my parents was very secondary. Oh. It was not, it was not the first thing to do. It was the inner work. It was writing them letters. It was that they, that I burned that I, that they never got. It was family constellation work as a modality. It was inner child work. It was deep uh, visual visualizations. It was somatic work. It was breath. It was really working in my own relationship to self. That was, that was really what it was about for me. Mm. Yeah. If you were, if you were to, um, have vehicles either in your own offerings or, or mm. offerings of others, I know, for example, in the context of masculinity, many men, at least that, that I've known ha have tapped in, for example, to the work of David data or have, have, you know, started with, you know, Robert Bly, you know, in terms of, uh, of, of a book, um, as it relates to either either offerings that you have or ones that you highly endorse in terms of the work of others, uh, what are actually like things that people could plug into as they as if they're saying, you know what, I would like to actually do this work. I would like to to confront the 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 the, the hard places. I'd actually like to not numb, you know, not to not to not to be in perpetual pursuit of pleasure and forsake my own deep grief. And, and, and I actually want to look at the hard places. Um, where would you recommend people start to look I, you've already mentioned, obviously a great number of modalities, somatic work, breath work, et cetera, but are there any kind of core courses uh, or, or containers that either you offer or those you, you really respect offer uh, that people could, could start with? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there there are many many containers that I um, that I offer, and you can find them on my website, stephanosafandos.com. In terms of, I guess, um, authorities in the space, um, you know, the Gottman Institute is brilliant. Um, let me actually look at my bookshelf while I'm here. Do you like Do you like uh, Wineland's work? Uh, John is a, de a very dear friend of mine. Yes, I love John's work. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, in terms of men's work, I'd look at um, Warren Farrell. I'd look at Steve Bidoff, um, Sam Keane. Um, I really like uh, uh, Jack Donovan as well. Um, you know, but you know there's there's john bradshaw as well in terms of inner child work mm -hmm. um i mentioned gottman institute harville hendrix um you know and there, and there 
there are just, I mean, man, there are so many, I'm just looking here. I, I really look at a lot of old ancient teachings as well. I mean, I could pull, I can pull a bunch of books for you now, if you wanted to. <laughs> um, I, I really, I would, I would love that, any recommendations at any point. I'm happy to link to them in the show notes as well. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I think any, anything that you think would really grab at someone where they're like, okay, this is, I don't Can even know where to start. So let me let me let me yeah. start here. Whether it's pranayama or tumo breathing or or the sure. work, you know the work of of David Data, you know something where it's like, okay, this is where I'm going. Uh, this is my starting yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, Ken Wilber's work is brilliant as well. Mm. You know, he's another individual that I think is very um, underrated in this yeah. in this lifetime, and I think he'll, um, you know, he'll come to greater fruition and recognition as um probably as he passes you know like it'll be one of those things but again i really lean into the ancients and into ancient wisdom whether it's the makarabata the, the the gita which is part of that of course um you know old greek philosophers as well when i say old obviously ancient greek philosophers um but yeah i can have a think about some other some other authors and some other um teachers that have really influenced me there are certain swamis and sages that have influenced me like swami rama is one of them um, who's not a super well-known Swami, but really, um, you know, really touched me deeply. There are um, different books and authors that speak to, um, uh, uh, I guess, you know, sexual optimization from Taoist or Taoist perspectives and, and ancient um, Eastern perspectives as well. And for me, it's not just about sexual performance. It's about life force and personality and expression our sexuality holds so much of all of who we are um, in that area of our being. And I don't just mean the physical area of our genitalia, but what that actually symbolizes and represents and the life force that we create from that, right? So, yeah, it's just, I'll have a further think about it. Yeah, I actually would love to kind of close with that because mm. the, the notion of, and I'm sure we could do a whole show just on this, but um, yeah. life force as embodied in our in our sexuality and also quite honestly, the host of, at least for many of us, a place of where many hold deep shame. Um, but I know yeah. as it relates to uh, life force, right, at least in, in as I understand the Chinese uh, philosophy, like our Jing is actually our life force. And, and every time we're ejaculating, uh, we're actually reducing our Jing, our, our life force. So is there, is it, whether, whether you want to speak about actually, you know, sort of semen retention or just in general, the notion of sexual potency as it relates to this process of coming to know ourselves, I'd love to hear just some of your, some of your, your thoughts around um, how sexuality can inform our personal evolution. So what often happens in life is, and there's nothing wrong with this, it's just that we take it to extremes. Hmm. We attempt to know ourselves through the other. And in its extreme forms, it's uh, seeking external validation to help ourselves feel better about who we are. And when it comes to sex, we attempt to find parts of ourselves through sexual communion and union with other people. The issue is there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. The issue is the come from, what's underneath that. And what's underneath that is often insecurity, is often hopelessness, is often selfishness, is often very low self-worth, 
And so what we do is we attempt to have these peak experiences that we share with someone else and we wanting them to give us the light, to give us the truth, to give us the gift, to give us the key to unlock the thing within us. We're searching outside of ourselves, whereas where it may pay to be in deeper communion with ourselves and come from a more integrated, healthy place and then seek optimization of self through the sacred union of other. And that can be casual sex, by the way. It can still be sacred and be casual. It can still, but, but what's your intention? What's your come from? Are you coming from a place of, oh, I need to ejaculate or I need to um, make that person orgasm so I can feel better about myself? Like, what is your come from when it comes to sexual intimacy? Because we're specifically speaking to that. But what do you come from when it comes to any action in relationship or even out of relationship? And so it really helps if we become more grounded in our own being. We come from a place of deeper self-love. And then from there, the decisions that we make around our sexual expression and around our sexual activity is very different to what it would be if it was coming from a trauma-bonded place. Mm. So you feel many people in their sexual expression are really acting out of deep trauma bonding as kind of their core, their core motivator. So most of us are, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I know we've got a hard stop in two minutes and I want to honor and respect your time, but is there, is there a resource or a person that you'd recommend delving into if one wants to explore a, a version of sexuality that isn't rooted in, in trauma bonding? Yeah, there's, um, oh, what? I'm going to get up in a moment. Let me just give me two seconds. I'm looking at this book here. And I haven't read it for a while. Yeah. So I feel like I'm just going to talk. Well, well, Stephanos grabs this book and we, and we move towards wrapping up. Um, there's a, a book I'm reading right now called urban Tantra. That's, that's very interesting. I really like David data's way of the superior man and dear lover. Those I think are, are really interesting reads as it relates to, uh, polarity. And then I did a, a workshop that was based in tantric massage. So kind of that, that work that Stephanos is talking about as it relates to drawing up, uh, sexual or life force energy, but never from a point of climax or release, actually bringing it back down and, and building it up again and actually creating almost waves like you're surfing. So you're surfing these waves of that, that, that polarity and that energy, that work was, was, was really, really potent and powerful. And, and now Stephanos is back. What, what is the book that, uh, okay. One? Whoa. The sexual practices of Kuwadoska. Am I pronouncing yeah. that correctly? I think, I think so. Uh, Kodushka. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And the tantric path of indestructible, indestructible wakefulness from Chong Young Trumpa. Okay. That's yeah, a right books, there. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is big. And this is more than just sexuality, but you know, it's what underpins that. Right. It is. It is. I'll, yeah. uh, man, I want to be honoring of your request for a hard stop and we just hit the, the minute, but Man, I, I could talk to you for, for hours and I want to people, please shout out where people can people find you to delve more deeply into your work. Sure. Thanks, man. Let's do a part two if you're up for it. That'd be awesome. I'm, I'm totally up for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Stephanosafandos.com, um, coachwithsteph.com, S-T-E-F, if you're interested in working together. Um, and then there is um, my Instagram or any of my social media channels at Stephanosafandos. And 
If you're a woman, and we've you know, spoken a lot about breath work and somatic work today, um, every month I run a somatic experience um, and breath work experience for the feminine. Um, three hour deep dive immersive every month. Every theme is different. It's live in person in Austin and live streamed and recorded. Next one's March 18th, I believe, 2 to 5 p.m. Central. Um, stephanosafanos.com slash feminine for tickets and so forth. And it's a beautiful, beautiful journey. Hundreds of women around the world join us and it's growing, big growing community. Beautiful, my man. Well, I'll definitely recommend your work. I can't wait to uh, to come say hello in Austin. Yes. And uh, and yeah, let's do a part two sometime soon. Sending you a lot of love and thanks for making the time, my man. You too, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Stephanos. If you did, please let us know your feedback and what you're taking away from the episode at Michael Trainer and at Stephanos Sifandos. I always love your feedback and I'll repost anything you send my way. Tag us on the gram, on socials. I so appreciate you guys being here. Uh, it means the world to me. And uh, if you have a moment, please uh, go ahead and leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps me to attract bigger and better guests. And my commitment is to continue to add value to you guys. So sending you so much love. Also check out our, our partners, simplyo3.com and leelaq.com. Uh, their links are below in the show notes. And you can also use the code PEAKMIND for significant discounts on your order. Sending you guys so much love. I hope you're having a beautiful day. And here's to an inspired journey.